Welcome to Chapters of Motherhood. This is a weekly podcast about this hashtag mom life that is motherhood with all the struggles, chaos, and true blessings that come with the title mom. I am your host, Veronica. At 17 years old, I became a mom for the first time. And at 41, I had a water birth for my fifth baby. The goal of this podcast is to share with you my motherhood experience and hopefully help you realize that you are not alone in your own mom life journey. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, working mom, or a single mom, from potty training struggles, bedtime snuggles, and everything in between, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I share your frustrations and your joys. Every week is a different chapter of motherhood. Welcome back to Chapters of Motherhood podcast. I am joined today by Anna the doula to talk about her motherhood journey and what led her to become a doula. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. Can you very quickly just describe what is a doula? Yes. So a doula, the literal meaning, it's a Greek word that means to serve the woman. And it's been around for a long time. But as of recently, um, it's become more mainstream because famous people are starting to show that they get doulas. And so more and more people are questioning. But since I've been a doula, explaining what a doula is has been part of my work and creating more awareness on the importance of having one around childbirth. Okay, great. So tell me a little bit about yourself. You're married. How many kids do you have? Yes, I'm married and I have seven children, five boys, two girls. Uh, they, the age range is from two and a half is the youngest. And my oldest just turned 18 this month. Well, last month, December. So I have 18 years of self-parenting. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> yeah, a long time. And um, I had beautiful pregnancies. And part of the reason I became a doula was because I realized that not everybody's as fortunate and sometimes journeys in pregnancy don't go as planned. And my background, I'm a UCLA bio major. Uh, My minor was child development. Originally, my path was to become a pediatrician. But the more I looked into the bedside of what it's like to be a doctor and be in the shoes of a doctor, I was interested more in having a one-on-one conversation with my clients, so it didn't seem like that's something that happens as a pediatrician. They're very important, and obviously, when it comes to our children's health, but for myself, I wanted to make a more lasting impact and have more of a connection and a relationship with my patients. So I met my husband when I was um, applying to medical school, and he had the bright idea to have a big family and I was on board and I took a leap of faith. I went to my counselors. Um, I was at UCLA and I still remember the day they're like, well, once a Bruin, always a Bruin and you're always welcome to come back. But, you know, I have friends that we went ahead and continued the path of becoming a doctor and I see their life and I wouldn't have it any other way. Like I, I, I did the right thing and I felt like the weight lift off my shoulders when I decided to just pursue becoming a mother of many. And I know that's not like the norm anymore, like having seven children. I mean, when we first met, we talked about having 10. And as crazy as it sounds like, we were both on board too. It was intentional. And so (laughs) we, we really 
we really have um we stopped at seven right now and we're just like kind of slowing down because we realize giving them max attention and having that one-on-one is getting difficult so it i guess in the end it's just like you can't you have a plan and this goes along with the birth journey like you have a plan and you you gain a client and then you set up a birth plan but then you always have to be open to the journey kind of you know diverting and feeling it out like you might have a great journey planned out but a lot of times when i'm working with a mom one of the main things is to help her embrace change because if things don't go as planned, then that's when a doula really comes in handy because she can see the positive side of what's going on instead of being so um, attached to that quote unquote birth plan that it creates some kind of dis- like just a, a feeling of disappointment. And then it can be really important to surpass that just so that you don't forget that at the end, no matter how the journey took you, you still have a healthy bundle of joy in your arms, as opposed to like, literally, you take away from the beauty of once being a mother, like once you're home, and all the dust settles from, you know, whatever happened during birth, like, some women get stuck on the fact that their birth plan didn't go as planned. And so just being able to navigate through, okay, so it didn't go as planned, but here are the positive things about what happened and how they had choice. So a lot of times it seems to me from what I've seen that the reflection is this, if they have choice, they feel more empowered. So the whole duty of a doula is to help the mother feel empowered in her journey, no matter what turns it took. And that way, when they start at home with breastfeeding, it's kind of like you've closed that chapter of birth. And then you're like, okay, now let's do mom, you know, versus being stuck in that episode of whatever deterred the, the birth plan. And then your home processing by yourself, most of the time, most women, after they have babies, um, you know, yeah, the first week or two, people are coming over, they want to see the baby, but there's a moment where the woman's by herself, and then she feels this feeling of sadness, because it's like, well, yeah, I have my baby, but a part of me feels like, you know, something was taken, if if it, I guess, for example, if it went in the course of say c-section and it was like something of an emergency there's no follow-through it's not like okay um you had a c-section or you had something that you didn't plan for we're going to set you up with a support group to process that that's not our the way medical systems are set up currently so there's still work to be done in that area and that's why mental health around maternity is starting to have more of um, awareness, I guess. The the awareness is expanding and that's beautiful because we do want to steer away from what would be postpartum depression. And a lot of the times it's just basically having someone to talk to uh, about what happened and the benefits and not focus on the negative parts, you know? Right. Because a lot of the times I hear, oh, well, you didn't have a good birth plan. Not to me, but to somebody else. Like, oh, you didn't have a good birth plan, but or it didn't come out the way that you wanted it. But at least you have your baby in your arms, or at least you're both alive, or at least, you know, it worked out. And it's like, okay, yeah, I get that. I'm grateful for that. But 
I'm still disappointed. That doesn't take away from the disappointment of it didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. And I think that's a great idea is to, is to have some type of support system because some people do dwell on it and they do want to like get it off, like take all their feelings and just be heard more than anything. Yeah. And as a doula, like I'll, I'll tell you, uh, so I do both birth and postpartum. The difference is you could hire a birth doula, you can hire a postpartum doula, or you, there's people out there that are trained for both. And a birth doula supports you in three fashions. So there's physical support where they're actually putting counter pressure uh, in a particular way so that it alleviates some of the pressure created naturally from the body. And then there's informational support that happens throughout the whole pregnancy. So always, 100% of the time when I'm hired, it's usually at the end of the like the last trimester. And more and more women will say, gosh, I wish I would have hired you early in pregnancy. And that's so important because our price range usually doesn't account for that. It's not like if you hire her early in pregnancy, it's different price. So mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're going if you're pregnant, seek out a doula as soon as you find out you're pregnant because that's your confidant. That's who you call every time that you go to the doctor and you get some kind of concern brought up. One thing that I know is that when information is routed to the woman from the doctor or the nurse, sometimes there's not that uh, empathy delivered where it's like, okay, I'm giving her information that might concern her and really send her into a state of you know, basically the fear. And so that's when you pick up the phone, call your doula and say, hey, I was told this information and it's really scaring me. Because when you're at the doctor's office, it's like, oh, okay, you say okay, but your mind starts racing, your heart's thumping, you're like, is this really bad? Like, I'm not sure. I don't know exactly what I'm being told. So more times than not, women won't ask, like, I don't understand. I don't know if it's because they fear that the person might think like, oh, you should know that. Mm-hmm. And so they don't question like, what what are you telling me until, you know, and some do. But even then, like, for example, one of the things that uh, can happen on one of your visits is like, oh, there's a presence of placenta previa would be one of the examples or gestational diabetes or anything like that that happens through pregnancy. And there's so many things that can be done from the mom's end choices that they can do, whether it's changing their lifestyle, like in terms of gestational diabetes, just having a better diet and knowing that it goes away after the pregnancy is like powerful in itself, you know, and knowing that there's something that they can be done instead of just going home with the information and doing nothing and just worrying about it. Because worrying about it is really like not going to help you at all. So things like that. Right. Right. Um, Okay. And then and then a postpartum doula is a doula that you hire to help you once you're home. So birth doula was information, physical, and emotional support. And postpartum doula is for women that want help once they're home. Um, whether they have family around or not, this person would do light chores, would watch your baby while you take naps, sleep. Um, I do overnight. So overnight is one of my favorite things to do because it really decreases the risk of postpartum depression because sleep deprivation is one of the main things linked to postpartum depression. And so if I can help another mom increase the amount of sleep she's getting, her journey as a mother is going to be so much more 
impact in a positive way than than if she's just struggling through nights of no sleeping. And, you know, these women have husbands, but, you know, husbands are husbands and, and some are great and they'll stay up and they'll take turns, you know, during the night shift. But I kid you not, when I when I have people hire me, like, and this goes for any postpartum doula, it's such a comfortable position to be in where you're like, you know what, she's about to arrive. I'm going to get a full night's rest. And then she gets to feed the baby, you know, for me and take care of the baby. And you wake up. It's like fairies came in and cleaned your kitchen and tidied up your house. And you wake up Mm -hmm. rested. I mean, I don't think there's any other better feeling than that as a new mom, you know? Right. Yes. So when you do the overnights, what about when they're breastfeeding? So there's different. Yeah, there's different ways we try to do that. So depends on what the mom wants. If the mom wants to have the baby brought to her while she's still sleeping, well, obviously, once the baby, if they're feeding on call, uh, that means that they would wake up every two to three hours, and then you bring the baby to mom, and then she w- you would help her latch the baby on, and depending if she wants to keep the baby there until the baby's done. But then once she's done feeding the baby, the sleep is is still interrupted but very minimal because the doula will change the baby and set her up to keep sleeping. Um, that would be the most natural course. The other ways are a way to feed the baby where you don't need to introduce the bottle. So in the first two weeks of life, you try not to introduce bottle feeding so the baby doesn't have what they call nipple confusion because if they receive the breast milk, so the mom would pump the milk and then if they receive it through the bottle, the bottle allows the expression of milk really fast. And so then the next time the baby eats, it's going to wonder why it has to work hard to bring down the milk when in the bottle it's getting it so fast. Mm-hmm. And also the, the shape of the nipple is different. So that's what nipple confusion is. So to avoid that, there's a way that you can feed them where it's you're they're suckling on the thumb. And then you introduce it. It's called syringe feeding, and you guys can Google it if you want. It's very mm-hmm. simple. It's just basically you're putting the thumb in the baby's mouth. The baby's suckling on it, obviously clean hand. And then the, with the like, um, you know those syringes that you use for in, for medicine for kids, mm-hmm. little kids. Mm-hmm. You put that on the side, and then you're feeding the baby the milk that way. And then the third way would just be the bottle, and then try to get a bottle that the nipple is closest to the breast. But I think that would be like the last resort, just if the mom was like extremely sleep deprived, you know? Yeah, that, that, not thinking back on it, that would have worked out great because I could still breastfeed and someone can come and take the baby and change the baby and rock her right back to sleep. So that would be great. I mean, the ones mm-hmm. that I've taken care of, they, they have no problem breastfeeding with their mom during the day. And so the point of breastfeeding is that that's a whole big topic in itself. Like just breastfeeding alone, having someone that has breastfed seven other children, you can imagine that I, I don't have their certifications to be an IBCLC. And it's just because of my time commitment with my family that I just had, you know, not gone through that coursework, but it's really easy. I could just go and get it done. But other than that, um, it just comes as part of the package uh, to help my clients. They know I've breastfed seven, so I'm able to help them out. And actually, many of them, if they if they have Kaiser, for example, they'll have clinics. So that's something that a lot of people don't know. WIC has free breastfeeding clinics as well. 
your whatever hospital you delivered at has breastfeeding clinics. They're supposed to, but more times than not, it's very beneficial to get a lactation consultant to go to your room after you have a baby because every hospital has a consultant. They should have more because there's only like a few per hospital, but they do have them. So as long as you're patient, you they could come around and just make sure that before you go home, you have a good latch because that's basically the one thing that will get you to be successfully breastfeeding once you're home. The worst thing is to go home and still have questions and then kind of try to troubleshoot it on your own because that's where a lot of frustration comes in that, you know, you can imagine the number one priority of a mom is to feed her baby. Mm-hmm. And if she can't do it successfully, it's one of the disappointments that you can really just avoid, really. Just if you had a hospital birth, know that that resource is there. And if not, call a doula or even if you didn't hire a birth doula, the hospital has breastfeeding clinics that take place regularly. So most hospitals will have one day out of the week to two two days out of the week where they hold uh, breastfeeding clinics. And so it's like one or two hours in the, in the morning and you ask them any questions, but it's beautiful. I think more and more hospitals are, are starting to become what they call baby friendly. That basically means that they stopped pushing formula because, I mean, formula companies were giving them free formula samples to send to all their clients, you know, to all their right. patients. And now the trend is going in the direction of breastfeeding. And so having breastfeeding clinics for them is important because during the tours, the hospital tours, you know, more and more patients were asking, like, what kind of resources do you have in terms of breastfeeding? So they realized the demand was there. And most hospitals will now have that. And they're also steering away from uh, shared rooms. Like most hospitals will have a private room per per mom because they realize the importance of, you know, having that privacy to nurse your baby and not have random stranger visitors coming in. <laughs> right. Right. Um, can we go back to when, um, so you chose to be a mom and yeah. When did that decision to become a doula come in? Was it before you had your first child or was it after? Or how, how did you come about that? Well, um, one of the people that I was at UCLA with, we were actually taking a florichlorico class together. And she went on to become a, a registered nurse. And um, she was also uh, took the training for doula. And we were in a dance class together in the evening and uh, she just said, so what are you doing nowadays? And I was like, just, you know, being a mom. And she goes, you know, you would be an amazing doula. So then she, she introduced me to her teacher and um, there's different organizations. The longest standing ones are Dona, Kappa. So when I Googled it, the first one that popped up was Dona, but the instructor that I took the classes with was Kappa. Um, and now there's so many out there. Um, and for the most part, you know, you basically do the research and find out which one's close to you to take uh, the coursework. But it's only a weekend course. So in terms of what you're going to get as a doula, there's a lot of variety. I have a resume that I send to my clients so that they know that Aside from that weekend training, I do have a background in science so that I'm able to 
be up to date with PubMed articles, which are scientific journals in the science community in regards to birth. And also I am bilingual, so that helps create more doulas for people that are in our Hispanic community and Spanish speaking. But yeah, she introduced me to what a doula was, and I already had five. So I was a doula. Yeah, I was way into motherhood. So um, for the last two, I was aware of that. And actually, when I took my training, I was pumping. So it's funny you mentioned that because I recall pumping while I was doing my training. And then I went on and had two more children. And for those births, I did have doulas that had been with me through the training journey. And then my training teacher was on call. So I was messaging her back and forth. And so it was it was really different to have it just be my husband and me versus having someone that dedicates their life to doing this for women. Because as wonderful as he is when it comes to supporting me in, in birth, what I told some people that have, you know, these awesome husbands, I'm like, well, he knows mom, but he doesn't know everything about birth. So they're not one and the same. It's not like having your best friend at your birth. It's very different. She's going to empower you no matter what choice you make. She doesn't make decisions for you. That's really important in our doula community is to have the mom like help her find her voice and know that whatever choice she makes, we're going to basically support her through it. So there's times where They're like, yeah, I'm going to go all natural. I've gone all natural, but it's funny. I don't tell that to, well, now I guess more people will know, but I don't normally say that openly when I go to interviews because I want them to have their own journey. And I don't want my journey to feel like they have something to compete or like compare to. Does that make sense? Like I want their journeys to be a clean slate. And so when they ask me, I always say, I'll share all the details after this birth. And so, you know, this is kind of cool to know that you're positively impacting this. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. So for your first five children, did you have them all in hospitals? Yes. And And then the next two, you had them home or hospitals as well? No, they were all hospital. Um, I, yeah, because of my insurance. So Home birth is something that is still not covered by insurance right. for the most part, um, unless you have a very, like a PPO, like a high-end insurance, then they'll retroactively pay the midwife and things like that. But for the most part, it's out of pocket. So it's more of a luxury in the Western, you know, in the U.S., yeah. I guess in California, I, I can't speak for every state. I know that it's home birth is more typical in like a, like in Oregon and places like that. But there are also the other option is birthing centers. So right. birthing centers are a hybrid between having a hospital and a home birth. It's more of a location where you're going to have your baby and then you go home after as well. But yeah, for me, my experience with birth, my first child He's eight years apart from the rest because my first birth, the pregnancies were all great. I I, no complaints, but my birth, the first one, I, my water broke at home. I didn't have contractions. So I went ahead and showered and headed off to the 
hospital. I wasn't too far from the hospital. And as soon as I got there, um, I told him my water had broken. Obviously, my husband was coming from work, rushing to the hospital. And in the meantime, they started Pitocin. I was never asked. Um, it was just introduced into the IV. Now, I mean, this was 18 years ago. So it's just you get to the hospital and they do whatever they think is best for you and your baby. And that was what. And there was no signs of distress. They just decided to introduce Pitocin, which is an artificial way to influence your body to start contracting. Mm -hmm. It's the artificial form of what we produce. Oxytocin is what we naturally produce in our body. So because there was no contractions, that's how they did it. But once saying that, Pitocin is very common in the birth room. It's not that it's a bad thing. It's how it's introduced. So there's a level of introduction. It could be at a low grade and then incre increase gradually so that the body can adapt very gracefully through it. If it's like, say, an induction, inductions are common with Pitocin. But in this situation, it wasn't like that. It was like I was there and they gave me a very high dose and I started contracting to the point where my body, the way I describe labor, it's kind of like a marathon. You start to gradually, your muscles start to work their way into what's going to produce enough pressure to push out a human baby, you know? So it happens gradually. It shouldn't happen like drastically just at a drop of a dime and so my body wasn't responding good to the contractions um it was kind of like in a state of shock and then next thing they did was introduce for the pain into my iv again they they didn't say anything they just did it and that one made me feel really sleepy so i wasn't present for my birth as much as I would have liked to been. I was basically in a state of sleep and every contraction I would wake up and then I would pass out again. So it was, um, this went on for a good two hours and it was the longest feeling ever. It's like you're falling into a deep sleep and all of a sudden you're woken like the second, the next second. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as the baby came, I was just like, I mean, the, there was other things that happened, like the the doctor wasn't on her way. I had to wait. They mm -hmm. closed my legs. They said, do not push. And I could feel the urge to push. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually very inhumane to do. You mm -hmm. cannot even help that feeling. The urge to push is not something that a woman can fight back. Right. It's like it's happening. It's there. Yeah. So the, the, they've seen this many times so they they should have known to have the doctor been there already you know especially mm -hmm. with the dilation cycle um but the point is they were like don't push and i remember pulling myself up and literally crawling to extend my body to try to relieve how much pressure i felt down there mm -hmm. and i was literally trying to crawl my way over the the bed and away from whatever was like the them pulling me together and trying to close my legs i mean it was mm -hmm. it was it wasn't a good experience so then you know long story short when the baby came is when i saw the doctor's face pop into the room i just pushed and i i've had enough by then that i really exerted so much force that I tore and it was a third degree laceration which 
is pretty bad. the The max can be four. Basically, when when a baby tears a woman down there, if it's four, it's reached your anus. So from the vagina all the way. Mm-hmm. So a three, little less than that. It took a year to heal, and it was excruciating pain. Like I, I think sex was painful, like for a full year, where it just felt tender, where wherever the the cut had been yeah they stitched everything up and they do internal and external stitches but it was just like imagine trying to enjoy your baby like once they handed me the baby I was just like just take them I just want to sleep like mm-hmm. had no interest in bonding it was just like take him I just want to leave me alone stitch me up put, let me go to sleep hence why I waited eight years and mm-hmm. I switched OBs I did my research. I made sure I went with an OB that was aware of that experience, which is very important. So this person, my second uh, OB, which um, I birthed the rest of my children with, so we have a long-lasting relationship together. But basically, he always knew that that was a fear that stayed with me. So it was something that could potentially stall labor in future births. So he would uh, help me with, he would coach me through um he would take it gradual and then he would also apply wherever that incision was he would towards the end put mineral oil which was to just help me from that fear of re reopening which it never did so i mean eight years is a good amount of time for it to heal again and so yeah my my best birth was labor too so i guess Long story short, you you do your research, you find a good doctor, you find good birth team, doula, and your journey will actually make a big difference. So did you have a doula in your second birth as well? No, I just switched OBs. Okay. okay. I, back then, I didn't know what a doula was. I didn't okay. even know they existed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that but, sounds very traumatic, your first one. Actually, I, I've had... I have five kids and three of them were, well, actually two births were very traumatic. One was okay. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. And then um, my last baby I had, I had her with a midwife in a birth center, which was a house actually, and with a doula. Like my last one, I wasn't smart enough to do research um, before until the very end, until after I had my fourth baby, which was very traumatic. And yeah, they told me the same thing with my first and my fourth. It was a 21-year difference and two different nurses in two different hospitals. And like I said, 20-year difference. Both both of them told me, do not push. I do not get paid to deliver your baby. The doctor's not here. Mm-hmm. And it was... I mean, it's very traumatic. Those those two were really bad. And like I said, I, I wasn't smart enough to do any research. But um, in my defense, my first one was almost 27 years ago, you know, and there just wasn't enough education back then. Unless you knew what you were looking for, there just wasn't. You needed to know what to look for. And, and I didn't. And uh, and now there is. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that, I mean, that, you said something very key right now. You said if you don't know what you look for, but it's kind of like as a doula, you, you just keep educating because there's so much information. It's impossible for a person that doesn't devote their life to doing this work to know everything. You know, mm-hmm. like there's information I give parents now that is not in books. And you're like, well, how do you know this? from just experience you know so there's still stuff out there that 
needs to go into books. It's a never-ending learning. So it's not that you weren't smart enough or that you didn't know to do the research. It's just once you put it in your focal point to learn about it, it will come to you. It will actually open up. It's like anything. It's like you don't know about a car until you buy the car and then you see it all over the place. It's because you put it into your your view of focus. Well, also the other thing is I I think is that I didn't even know that there was other choices. I thought you go into the hospital, you do what they tell you to do, and then you walk out with your baby. Like you don't really have a choice. And I didn't know that. I think it's, it's more now that we have social media, now that we have Netflix, now that we have, you know, the internet, now that we have all this, um, speaking about myself because, you know, I'm 44 years old, right? And now that there's information out there, now you can start looking into it. Now, when you are pregnant, you can start like looking into it. And like you said, if it comes into your focal point, you can do that kind of research. I just didn't even know that you had options before. So I think the most important takeaway is that women need to know there are options. Yeah. And their consent. There's um, yes. it's called um, the right to consent. It's their bodies. And you're right, you know, it, doctors and nurses are are not the authority. You do have a right to know what's being done to you and know if you're not in the position where you didn't hire anybody, you're not at, at, at a loss. You just have to really be able to get your husband into that mode of like, okay, if I can't speak for myself, I'm going to give you the right to do it for me because obviously the woman's going to be going through an extreme feeling mm-hmm. I want to call it feeling it's not so much that it's pain like I I, I do hypnobirth education so it, it's in a very it's a very intense pressure and so we're trying to like it, yeah if you if you talked about it yeah I guess you could say yeah it's pain but what if you were to go back to your five births and, and just really reflect and be like, what if it was just really intense pressure, so intense mm-hmm. that the purpose of it was to deliver a baby? You know, it's the only time our bodies feel that sensation. So mm-hmm. it is new, it's foreign, and you're in a very vulnerable position. And so someone that comes near you, like say a nurse or a doctor that has schooling they technically you're gonna do whatever they tell you to do that's very common but I've had people that I know moms that I know that will fire their their OB on the spot the hospital has doctors that are on the floor so worst like case scenario would be like you're fired basically you know what I'm sorry but that that's important to know. I didn't know that. And I wanted to fire my fourth baby's OB because I just didn't trust him. And I wanted to fire him. And I told the nurse, is there anybody else that can see me? And she said, no, you need to wait for your doctor. So I didn't even know. In, in essence, I was asking her, I don't want him anymore. And I said, I don't trust him. I don't want him anymore. Is there anybody else? And she told me no. And this was um, almost six years ago. So it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, and the insurances will also try to tell you you can't change last minute. But what it is is the doctor taking you on, it's up to – they're the the ones that have the final say. So what ends up happening is some doctors feel that it's too high risk to take a patient at the last part of their birth, like if they've been seen by another doctor. But why can't they take – all the notes that they took from when she started seeing this doctor and then just deliver the baby. It's really, uh, I mean, 
we're talking about this, and in my mind, I already have five that I thought that that I know will take last minute patients. And all it means is that they have they're covered for that because they're that kind of doctor that is aware that women are sometimes unhappy with their OBs, and no, you don't you don't have to stick with that person. Mm-hmm. There's um, that, that in itself is like, why, why don't we know that? I don't know. I just, I didn't know that until I mm-hmm. became a doula, you know? And I mean, I was shocked. I was like, wow, but what an empowering thing to be like, you know what? I'll take, I mean, you are taking a risk. You take whoever's there, That's but true. sometimes that person that has been so like nasty, it could be that bad where you're like, mm-hmm. I don't even care who comes into the room as long as they're, they're obviously been educated to do that. You know, they've gone to school for it, but there won't be that negative vibe. Mm-hmm. So that in itself is really like you're, you're getting a doctor. It's not like they're pulling the janitor and be like, Hey dude, come and catch this baby. Right. You know? right. <laughs> it's like someone that trained for it, but minus the negative vibe. So yeah, it's sad, but not, not all OBs, um, obstetricians are like that. I mean, I've met some very wonderful obstetricians that are really passionate about their work. And, you know, even they've been harassed by their other colleagues because Mm -hmm. they're willing to deliver a breech baby or a twin birth uh, naturally, you know? Mm -hmm. And so those are the OBs that I love having conversations with because they themselves have also put their whole doctor degree on the line just for women to have the power of choice, you know? Right. And so and it's my understanding there aren't that many. There's very few, especially here in California that I that I've known them. I think there's only like in Southern California anyways, I think I've only heard there's like three that can it's deliver probably the same ones that come to my mind. <laughs> right. They can deliver yeah. a breech baby or a twin. And I I don't think that it's covered through insurance. Am I right? Like they have to charge out of out of insurance? Um, I don't know. They'll try to go through the insurance. And if the insurance has a problem, then I guess that's something that the OB would discuss with the patient. But I don't think insurance, I, I don't know enough about it to tell you yes or no. But I know that once you seek them, it's just like anything. You have to call the insurance company and just go back and forth with them. And, you know, it's it's something that I had to do with my last baby because they didn't want me choosing the same OB I had. And I said, are you kidding me? I've had six. Well, it was my sixth baby with him, but I was like, I had five kids with this person. And as long as he's still a doctor, he's going to be my OB. And they were just like, nope, you're going to have this one. And I said, nope. And I fought them on it. And I went, we had to go back and forth. And then his office helped me to, to make sure it was him. But, you know, each doctor has their strengths. There's questions. So when you go to a doctor, in the first prenatals, you can find out how they're going to be when it comes to birth based on the questions you ask. Google, what are the best questions to ask now to know more or less how they feel about natural birth? And some of them will, you know, say, oh, well, it depends and yada, yada. But yeah, there's different things that can happen. Like, for example, some of them might not be comfortable going past 40 weeks and they'll consider an induction. 
my doctor in particular, he, he allowed me to wait. But this is how I asked the question, because for some reason, my body kept gestating a little longer every consecutive birth. So I think it just got more and more efficient <laughs> or, or I don't know what was going on. Um, but, you know, I wasn't giving birth at 40 weeks after like five, the fifth baby. And then I, I would go like the sixth one was 41 weeks and the seventh one was right at 42 weeks. So the thing about that, these due dates are a little bit of a guess date and not an true due date because there's no way of knowing when the baby when the it the embryo implanted into our uterus so it it there's a two-week grace period that's why it should be allowed to go up to 42 but there's so many other contingencies that can like affect whether or not that doctor makes that choice so if it's like for example high risk birth or you know what would um notes it as a high high risk birth because if it's just age like the age of the mother believe it or not once she's pat once she's 35 and over they call it high risk but mm -hmm. in in my humble opinion if you're 35 and you're pregnant and all of a sudden you get this label of high-risk pregnancy, it's truly baloney. If you're healthy mm -hmm. and everything else shows great, uh, don't feed into that label because it's just something that they've been doing for so long that is just a protocol. It's not, you know, something they should even put on there because it's kind of discouraging. It's like, oh, right. you're high-risk. And, and every person that runs by you is like, how old are you? How old are you? How old are you? Yeah, I'd have a baby now. I'm 38. I'd still have a baby now, you know? It's like, right. Well, I, I, I started all over again with my third baby. I had turned 35 by the time I had her. And then the next one, I was 39. And then the next, my last one, I was 41. And they called it a high, well, not the last one because the last one was with a midwife. But the other two, they called it a high risk, and you're a geriatric mom. It's like, what? Oh my I'm God. geriatric oh. now. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. You're going to come in in a walker. <laughs> yeah. It was ridiculous. But yeah, it's like, I'm only 35 and 38. You know, I don't, I don't know. It wasn't high risk. Well, actually, my fourth baby was kind of high risk only because it was um, gestational diabetes. But I was able to control it with the diet. So. Yeah. I was okay. I just, I didn't feel like she was high risk at all. None of them were. I was also considered high risk with my first because I was 17. Mm -hmm. And that's it. It's like, okay, you know, I didn't feel high risk at any age at all. Exactly. And, and that's a big thing right here. What we're talking about is like having that, that awareness of these names that they give, they sound really scary, right? And yeah. so... They're not. It's just something that they go by based on protocols they've been running forever. But if we pay attention to how women are having children nowadays, our age group has shifted. More and more women are waiting till they're 35 and 40. Yeah. I mean, I know just based on my clients, like this year alone, like everybody was over 35. You know, my last two were 42 and 45. I mean, yes, they were a little older, but being there for them and being like, look, your body invested into creating this full-term child, you are okay, was basically the kicker. It's like, you know what? She sees this all the time. Obviously, you know, I, we can trust that that what she's saying is, is true. Like, other than it's just a label, don't feed into it, and 
and yeah, like how we create with language is so important. And, you know, I don't necessarily get it, but my patient, my patients, so I know my, my clients say to me, they're like, you know, we love how you put things in wording because it makes us feel so calm. And that's key. That's key to have someone that, you know, makes you feel at ease and, and gets rid of these concerns that are really just creating a cloud over what is beautiful. Just pregnancy is so beautiful. Creating this child, feeling the movement inside, such a great bond, you know. just There's nothing, nothing in life that you can do that will give you so much reward than creating a child and then seeing the fruit of that, like when they're born and like, wow, I made that. Yeah. Now, Anna, getting back to being a doula, Doula is not a midwife. You do not deliver babies, right? Yeah. Just because sometimes people oh. confuse it, so I want to make sure that we define the difference. Oh, me? Do I yes. deliver babies? No, not yet. No, I don't deliver. I I am considering midwifery, though. Um, okay. I, aside from having seven kids and being a doula, I go to Michoacan, Mexico. They they have a midwifery school there, um, and I help them out by giving them donations because they have midwifery in Mexico is kind of like dying out and so there's uh, rural midwives there that have done midwifery for ages and it's like one or two left and they're like 50 years old no more like really really old and Mm -hmm. their wisdom is going with them and they wish they could Mm -hmm. go into midwifery school but it's about money and I mean it's not a lot. Like I give them maybe $77 a month and that can get, I, I'm, I do like, um, basically what's like a madrina. I don't know how that would translate godmother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically you pay, you help them pay for tuition and books. But yeah, I like, the more I do this work, the more I'm like, I, I could totally do midwifery. So I don't deliver babies yet. No, doulas do not they would actually, there's a, sc- a scope of work where you cannot do vaginal checks. So we do not do vaginal checks. There's nothing intervasive of what a doula does. But she's the only person with you from the beginning of when you start to feel like, oh my gosh, this is actually happening. To after the doctors leave, she's there helping you latch the baby on. So that's the only continual support you'll have other than your husband is the doula because the one thing that a lot of people don't know is the hot the doctor only walks in like the last 30 minutes to an hour of the birth for the most Mm -hmm. part while you're going from zero centimeters dilated to 10 is your doula with you or your husband and I always ask who else is going to be in the room because one thing that I learned the hard way was having my mom with me is not beneficial to me per se and she knows it too but it's like you have the doctors giving you commands and your mom's giving you commands and one totally it just gets crazy and so um, it depends the relationship you have with your parent and whether or not they can see you in that state of intense pressure Um, because I've seen it many times where the mom's part of the birth team and it's hard. I mean, you had a baby. Can you imagine your baby, if you have a daughter, Veronica, mm-hmm. having a baby? Like, can you mm-hmm. really sit there and be like, oh, my God, she's suffering. No, just give her the epidural. Oh, my gosh. No, I don't yeah. want to see her suffer. I've seen it too many times. So right. it's something that I, I don't even know if I could be there with my daughters because it, 
I mean, I guess I could, knowing that in, in hindsight, like just being wary of it. But it'll be hard. It'll yeah. be harder than seeing my patients because there's that connection. And you're like, oh, my gosh, like, can't wait for it to be over. But it, it will be harder to view. Can you tell me like really quick, like I know every birth is different. Every experience is different. But can you go through what um, typical call from a patient might be like, okay, Anna, I think I'm feeling a twinge. What do I do? Can you take us from there all the way to the end? Yeah. So they definitely do let me know. Obviously, if it's something where there's bloody show, they have to allow their doctor to know as well. So I'll have them contact them to give them a heads up. There's many signs of labor, but there's only a few that require for immediate transfer into the hospital. So if the water breaks, you don't react immediately like, okay, we got to get to the hospital. It's more of like the color of it. So you note the time, you write it down. And then if it's clear, uh, shouldn't have, there's no odor to it. Many times they'll, the, that'll happen. And that's when I receive the call and I'll ask them to smile because honestly, they're like, well, I don't know if I peed myself or if I didn't. And the baby is putting pressure on the bladder a lot towards the end. So more times than not, it is that the water broke. When you go to the hospital, they do a quick litmus paper test and basically test the pH of the water and um, water and pee. I mean, the amniotic fluid and pee have different pHs. So that's how they know whether it was your water or not. But if you want to um, labor at home, which is very important, because once you go to the hospital, they're going to hook you up to monitors. Right. 100% of the time, even if you're like, I'm here for a natural birth, they're like, okay, that's cool. But they're going to hook you up to monitors. Now we have monitors that are wireless. That's kind of nice because if the hospital, that's one of the questions you can ask at the tour. They have wireless monitors and it gives you more freedom to move and move mobility is very important during laboring. It's constant movement. If you want to just lay in bed and have it happen, it's going to be harder. Gravity helps a lot. So if you're standing, walking around, going about, basically, if they call and they're, we know they're in labor, we're going to wait until labor gets to a pattern. So five to seven minutes apart, the contractions lasting for a whole hour, where for a whole hour they're having contractions that are between five to seven minutes apart. Um, if it's second time moms, it's less. And so they have to let me know when it's like, because they will birth faster. You do wait for it to be a, like seven minutes apart would be better than five because five might not give you enough time to get to the hospital. So, and also depending on how far the hospital is from you, it's, and it also in LA, a big important thing to mention is if it's during traffic hour, obviously you're going to try to leave earlier so you're not stuck in traffic while getting trying to get to the hospital. But one thing that parents don't know is that you could take the shoulder lane if you, there happens to be a cop that pulls you over, tell them what's going on, and they will actually escort, escort you. That's the word. They'll escort you to the hospital. They'll turn their lights on and you follow them to the nearest hospital or whatever hospital you tell them you're trying to get to. Um, but that that's what the shoulder lanes are. But carefully obviously sometimes people are pulled over to switch a tire but so that's that but bloody show is normal you notify the doctor and then go by their orders but if there's no other signs then 
depending on the doctor and the hospital, they'll tell you different. But for me, um, I'm by their side whenever it changes for every woman. Sometimes I'm at their house helping them labor at home. And sometimes I get called in once they're in the hospital. Sometimes they go into the hospital and I don't hear from them for a little while. And I get antsy and I just leave. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm going to the hospital. Okay. And, then, and then I get, it's weird. It's almost like a little spider sense I have because once I'm in the parking lot, I get the call and they're, I'm like, I'm parking. They're like, how'd you know? <laughs> but I've been doing this for a long time. So I kind of. How it. long has like, it been already? Five years. Oh, five years. Okay. Now, in those five years, have you seen that the hospitals are more welcoming of birth workers or are they were, are they standoffish? Or are they just more welcoming now? Or what has been your experience with that? Um, there, It's been different. When I first started, yeah, I, I, I would get the dirty look of the, mm-hmm. ugh, you know, and the, the eye rolling or, mm-hmm. I mean, they have to act professionally regardless, but you feel the sense of not, not being wanted in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, but as more and more people hire doulas, they are, now it's just the norm. Like when you walk into the hospital, you tell the security guard, they put a badge on you right away. And so once you're inside, because I told you there's a variety of doulas, there's doulas that have only received the weekend training and have You know, so our expertise is very different. You have to really find out what else have they done beyond that training to make sure that they're also going to be able to collaborate with the birth staff in a way where they hold this doula position in a professional sense. Because I've encountered people that like nurses where they're like, Oh, you know, they'll say like little things here and there. And my, mm-hmm. I kid you not, my number one thing when I arrive, um, I always get there kind of early for that reason as well, is to win over the nurse. And when I, when I say my win over, it's not like I'm gifting her anything. It's more mm-hmm. of like building rapport with her, building this sense of like, I'm not here to step on your toes or be a burden. I'm here to just help you do your job in any way that I can. And there's different ways to do that, you know, just allowing at the very beginning when they first introduce you, I always have whoever I'm working with, I always have the mom introduce who I am to them so that they feel more of like, how can I say, you you can't come off as like, I'm here, I'm the doula, la, 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 like take over the stage. Like they've been helping already the patient. So they, they, they kind of know the grounds a little better. So you're kind of entering their territory. So it's like anything you have to just pull back, not come in with ego and come in with a clean heart of, Hey, I'm here to serve this mom. And I'd love to collaborate with you because I can't do what she does. I can't do with what a nurse does. I can't do what a doctor does. And they can't do what I do. So if we work together as a team, then we will have the best possible result from this experience together. And that's the basically the goal I come in with, with that mindset. But yeah, I've totally been able to see the drastic difference from when I first started doing to now. Just, you know, that's not that long. Five years is not that long. Mm -hmm. But that's five years for my training. I mean, my, like, technically, I was at my, my mom with her last one, and that one is now in her, in her twenties. So I used to go to births without 
being labeled as a doula. It was just because I, I enjoyed it. I loved everything mm-hmm. around pregnancy and birth since I was little. So And babies. Babies mm-hmm. is like my passion. I love baby feet. I just uh, can't get enough of that baby smell. It's like an addiction. <laughs> that, that's what I always say. Like my favorite phase is the newborn phase. It's like the birth, oh, the newborn I phase. And then once they're around six months old, it's like, oh, come back when you're six years old. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I, I, let me ask you another thing about, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was like, I love to cuddle them at every stage. Believe it or not, six-year-olds, they, they're a little like shy about asking for affection, but those are the ones that you caress their hair and just love on them because, not in front of their friends, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, once you do, they like melt. They're like, yeah. honey, they're so cute. Yeah. Yes. One other thing that I wanted to ask you now, do you only see in hospital or do you only help mommies in hospitals or have you done home births as well? Or are you specialized in hospital or does it, it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. The setting doesn't matter um, as long as it's an assisted birth. So I'm not allowed to assist in an unassisted birth, meaning like it's just me and the mom, because then I wouldn't be able to hold my certification. But I can do home births, I can do hospital births, and I can do uh, birthing centers. It tends to be that I have more hospital births, but that's because there's more people that are having births at hospitals. But I have done home births. One of the moms this last year in October, she was supposed to be a hospital birth. And the more she, after she took the tour, she started to have just a little bit of concern about yeah she started to hesitate she's like oh I don't know like something tells me I don't want to go this route and her biggest component of switching to home birth believe it or not was convincing her husband Mm -hmm. um they were both very Christian people and he was very scared he said oh no like what if there's an emergency what's going to happen and so one thing that people don't know also is that you have to kind of qualify to have a home birth in a sense because when you scout out a midwife um, she's going to ask you like what has been the trajectory of your pregnancy and if there's any beyond the age because this person was high risk based on age and she did have gestational diabetes but she still qualified I mean obviously her midwife was qualified enough to take on those two risk factors does that make sense yes So she was just like, yeah, I'll take you on. And that was it. We switched to a home birth and it was beautiful. I mean, the way that she labored was just, she kept, all she kept talking about once the baby was out was how different. She just kept Mm -hmm. saying how different. She goes, gosh, being in my own home was just like, there was no worry about a man entering and saying, calling the shots basically her Mm -hmm. husband was there and everybody laughed when he said see honey and I had to convince you to do this because it was the other way around (laughs) so it was really funny and this baby was huge he was so big he was uh almost 10 pounds he was like nine pounds nine ounces I want to say he was a big baby big baby and and all natural, no tearing. Um, she was in a position that she wouldn't have been in the hospital. 
she she was on all four. She was um kind of like a frog stance per se. Mm-hmm. So her mm-hmm. hands were in front of her, and she was able to catch her own baby in the water, which was beautiful. Um, and she didn't go in the water right away. So there, everybody knows what an epidural is. Well, now they're calling a water birth uh, aquadural if it's done properly. The sense of water surrounding you towards the end the last leg of the of the labor it's a form of like a epidural where it sends you this calming effect mm. um so they're coining it they're coining it in aquadural it's kind of a new thing so the term itself but yeah it's different if you go in the water at the beginning of laboring or if you just wait till the end it's a different effect so yeah she just um said how you know the water was just the right temperature her husband's hand was on her shoulder she just all the elements it was nice and quiet and dark you basically want to uh imitate the the womb so you know in a hospital everything's bright lit mm-hmm. and and um so it's very different very very different very calm very it's very wonderful i, I wish they would document those more if they made a documentary of just home births and seen i mean not everything is what unicorns and rainbows but it's not unicorns and rainbows in the hospital room either you know what right. i mean it is like there, there are things that can happen complications that can happen but if you do your research and you really just make sure you get the qualified individual to deliver your baby a home birth could potentially be an amazing joyful journey and beautiful beautiful journey Yes. Well, just to let you know really quickly, um, I mentioned that I had pretty traumatic births and my fourth one was just, I had, that was the last straw, right? And so when I got pregnant with my fifth and last baby, I refused to step foot inside a doctor's office. I No doctor saw me while I was pregnant. I went straight to a midwife and I had all my um, prenatal done with them with the midwife then I hired a doula at the very end I didn't know like what you said in the beginning that you could hire them earlier I hired her at the very end and my birth experience is it's a long old story but once I finally made it to the birth center because it's an actual house actually but um my I had the same problem with my husband he's like no 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 it needs to be at the birth center if it's not gonna be at a hospital it needs to be at the birth center not at home and so I, I compromised with him And by the time I got to the birth center, I was about a minute and a half. (laughs) Uh, You know, yeah, I was, I was like already, I think she said I was already like eight or like eight and a half or nine centimeters open. I was like already there and they put me in the bathtub and yes, in the bathtub, it didn't take away the pain all the way, but it really did help. The hot water really did help. My doula, I, it went so fast that she really didn't have time to really do anything with me. Like by the time she got there, I was there. She came in very quickly. She stepped away and let my husband do what he needed to do. She basically just collected the placenta because it happened so fast that she didn't get a chance to to do what she was supposed to do with me, what we had talked about. And But yeah. what I did appreciate is that she supported my husband and my daughter and telling them, it's okay, you can touch her, you can rub her, it's okay. Like she, like, let them help me. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, she collected my placenta and uh, encapsulated them. Is that something uh-huh. that you do? I have someone that does that. I mean, but yeah, it, I highly recommend doing the placenta. 
Yeah. So real quick. So I'm in the process of changing the website so that I have everything that I provide. Basically anything around birth, I'm catering to the people. So I don't encapsulate myself. I have someone that does all my placenta encapsulations and she picks it up from the hospital wherever you delivered and delivers it to your home. So that way you don't have to pick it up or have anybody else pick it up. But I highly recommend it. It definitely works in terms of like um, moderating the, the hormones after the birth. So for me, I felt, and let me know if this happened for you too. Mm-hmm. It felt like every consecutive birth, this, the dip in hormones was stronger. So mm-hmm. the mood swings were like stronger afterwards. So after, I didn't feel it much after the first one as much as I did with the other one so then on my last birth I decided to do encapsulation and oh my gosh my husband coined it my happy pill he's like Mm -hmm. have you taken your you know Mm because it would really give me a ton of energy and think about it it's in there when you're having that adrenaline rush of the birth so all that goes into it so it's like having an intense cup of coffee And I was told to take four of my pills. I would only take one because I couldn't handle more than that. It was so much energy. And the thing is that this it was God sent that I went ahead and did that encapsulation. I'll tell you why. So it did get me through the months of the beginning of the of the, you know, the mood swings with the with my hormones going back to normal after the birth. Because that placenta houses so many hormones that from one day to the next, it's out of your body and your body ends up going like, well, where are all the hormones? Like I just had this influx of hormones and now they're, they're gone. So the right. placenta kind of recycles them back like gently and naturally. You wouldn't take somebody else's placenta. It's the hormones that your own body created. So that's what's very beneficial. Your body recognizes it. It's your own stuff. And then something that I didn't plan for that happened and is part of motherhood and made me a better doula is that I had a loss uh, two years ago and I still happen to have some of the pills in my fridge. And so I took them and they helped me with the grief of having a loss. And um, yeah, I, I was only, I found out when I was like seven weeks along and I you know, it it was as sad as, you know, one thing that people don't talk about around loss is that it's sad when it happens. Like you're joyful the moment you find out you're pregnant. So when I found out it wasn't viable, it was just like, it still struck me hard. I took six months off just to process my own loss before taking any more clients on because I had to make sure I was back to being a clean slate for them because I'm an open vessel for them to process their stuff. The moment you walk in through those hospital doors or house doors or whatever doors, for me, a very typical routine thing I do is I leave my stuff at the door. I'm not a mom. I'm not, you know, none of my identity is in that room other than I'm this person's doula and I take everything on. So when you were talking about how she was dueling your husband and sibling, like the children, that's a big part of our, our job is to help also the family and the husband process what's going on and whether or not, like, um, I've been hired for C-sections. Sometimes there's scheduled C-sections. There's a lot of information online about why it's important uh, or how you would benefit from a doula if you're having a scheduled C-section. 
there's only one person allowed in the room, but some hospitals, if you talk to them ahead of time, and by talk to them, I mean you'd have to get to the head nurse to okay it. She may allow an, uh, the doula because the doula doesn't count as family. I'm not family. I'm, I'm part of the birth team. So, yeah, I've been able to be inside the, the rooms when they've done C-section. And, and yeah, the, the power of the voice is, is my biggest uh, tool in that instance. And afterward, you know, like processing anything. And, and processing, it could be the same thing 20 times. So, you know how you were telling me your birth story? Mm-hmm. If my client comes to me and she needs to tell me the same thing over and over, that's okay. That's part of processing what happened. So if there's any ill emotions that you felt while you were sharing with me, then keep telling it to somebody. You can call me. You have my number now. (laughs) But I I do that. And I also get rid of any trauma from the past based on other techniques. I've I have a lot of schooling and part of the schooling I have is in mindset. I took courses in Nevada uh, with a company that works with just eliminating negative emotions and being able to create positive goals. It's kind of like coaching. So basically like a life coach. So I blended it. So I could technically by certification be a life coach of hypnosis and all this stuff so that's why I do hypnobirthing education and I do that privately and in groups but yeah I'll give you all that information at the end of our interview but yeah encapsulation is wonderful Um, and any way that you can honor your your birth if it means like creating you know a photo session I did a session with painting so they painted my belly they painted a whole um it was like a jungle theme and I did a photo shoot of that, and that was with my youngest, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful to do something to help me feel so beautiful that late in pregnancy. So anything that helps like that, I totally say do it. Yeah, I agree with that. Like you should celebrate every part of your pregnancy, and you know, because people started saying, "Oh, the people that do the gender reveal, they're just seeking for attention." It's like, so what? Let them. This is their pregnancy. Let them celebrate it however they want to celebrate it. How does it affect anybody else, especially strangers on social media? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you have the option not to watch it. I, yeah. I I think it's intriguing all the different ways that people have done. I I, I even thought of one myself. I was like, oh, I'm going to do one with tamales, you know, pink or blue. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> I mean, you know, just. It's so creative. It's part of our expression and fully expressing ourselves is nothing to be deemed down on. Like, if anything, we should promote fully self-expression. It's beautiful. It really helps us as a humanity. You know, now with social media, a lot of people are going to social media to connect with humanity. And then we forget, hey, we can actually be in each other's presence and actually talk and look at each other's eyes and be that way as well you know well thank you so much anna now where can we find you if somebody wants to reach out to you they have questions or they want to meet you in person how can we find you what platform are you on so i'm on instagram as anna the doula so it's a-n-a-t-h-e-d-o-u-l-a and I'm also on Facebook, but you can also, my website is com, and my email is anathedoula at gmail.com. Okay. And I'll definitely link everything in the, in the show notes as well. 
Well, thank you so much, Anna, for taking the time to talk to me about such a passionate topic because I'm a birth junkie as well. <laughs> I love it. And I <laughs> at one point had toyed with the idea of becoming a doula, but um, I had a baby instead. So <laughs> so that's, it's that's on never, hold right it's now. Never too late. It's yeah. never too late. Yeah, it's a career choice that is extremely re- rewarding. And I would have I didn't know back then when I was deciding not to pursue medical school that there was, you know, that's what a leap of faith is, right? You just figure God's going to put me in the right path. And this is definitely steering me in the direction of midwifery. But even if it's just to be a doula for the rest of my life, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like I get to see newborns all the time. Um, You have to be ready to be present and and allow the woman to feel powerful in whatever journey that path takes her. It's not always beautiful. And when it's not beautiful, your job becomes even more so important. And also, there's a lot of self-care. So there's intense moments that you live with the woman. And if you're a doula like me, you really get invested into it with your client like they become an extension of like an extended family member really like I still keep in contact with all my past clients and it's wonderful to get feedback and to get pictures of the kids growing up it's almost like like okay I'll leave you with this because this is really important one thing I tell my clients and it's this is totally my mind so if anybody takes it I said it first okay? okay so the way that I love a mother because that is really essentially what I'm doing as a doula I'm loving her as a mother figure if I do my job right that passion will flow into her child and through that love it will transcend for eons to come and I really do feel I make an impact one mom at a time because if there's anything that's going to change this world is to have more love in the world and that's my way of creating impact in this world is to love on that mom so much that when I leave her side like she will have absolutely no question about the child I mean I am fully invested does that make sense and so that's my my footprint in this world and I hope I I keep going and um I, I hope to always just have the memories of the story that I left behind. And, and it's wonderful. I love it. Yeah. And that's a beautiful sentiment to have. Well, thank you so much, Anna. Thank you. Thank you, Veronica. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, share it with a mom friend. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to Chapters of Motherhood podcast. You can rate and review on Apple Podcast. You can leave me a voicemail message on Anchor FM. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at Chapters of Motherhood or Twitter at Mother Podcaster. Thank you so much for listening. I am your host, Veronica. Tune in each week to find your chapter of motherhood.